Good evening. It is an honor to be here hanging out with you guys tonight. Um, I know a lot of you in the room, but there are some new faces. Uh, For those that don't know, I am the middle school pastor here at Bay Life. I've been here for 10 years. And probably the first thing you're thinking is, wait, you willingly choose to work with middle schoolers. Um, Is there something wrong with you? Maybe you're thinking that question. And to that answer, I would say, yes, there is something wrong with me. I love the middle school kids. I mean, being with them for 10 years, um, I must, right? Um, So when I was 16, um, I accepted Christ here. I was a product of this church. Um, Somebody just simply invited me. And um, after putting my faith in Christ, um, I just loved telling people about him, anybody that was willing to listen. And so friends at school, I would drive them up here. Um, I would tell about the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Um, And just being willing to push aside what others thought of me. Because growing up, I did care. I was very um, self-consumed and I worried, what were they thinking of me at this point? But I didn't care at the time and I would share that with Christ. But as of late, can I be honest with you guys? Um, this is an area I'm great at when students bring their friends. I'm open and willing. I'm at church, right? It's easy to talk about God. They're usually open to it. Um, but in my own personal life, I am struggling with inviting my friends. I'm struggling with having that gospel conversation. And um, no problem with meeting new people. We moved to a new neighborhood and I can easily name like 35 people off the top of my head of people we've met, but it's taking it to that next level and being an example for Christ. But as we study God's word here tonight, let us be inspired by the one who never fails. The one who does things on on purpose and gives us an example worth imitating. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we dedicate this night to you. Um, It is your word that has power. So please let us hear clearly from you, God. And as I speak, God, will you convict our hearts? Will you challenge us um, to imitate your son, Christ? And Lord, I just pray that we continue on the path that you have set before us and let us run this race with perseverance. We ask all this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. All right, so if you got your Bibles, open up to John chapter four. We're gonna be covering a very familiar passage, the woman at the well. So I'm gonna be paraphrasing some of it and then we're gonna jump right into scriptures. But it says this, as Jesus and his disciples left Judea, they went on the way to Galilee. The Bible tells us that he had to pass through Samaria. He came to Jacob's well and Jesus was tired. So he sat at the well. Now I don't know how many times I've read this passage and I've never noticed that it said he had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you were geographically inclined, which I'm not, I just read a commentary. Um, But this is not a have to, this is a shortcut if you wanna cut through. But we knew that Jews during that time would not want to, right? The the religious uh, believers of that day would not want to pollute themselves um, with going through a Samaritan town. But we see that Jesus was fulfilling scripture at this time. We see that he had a mission, he had a purpose, It was by no mistake that Jesus ran into this woman at the well. Here's a cool little side note. As you read through the Old Testament, we see that there's three women that are found at a well. Does anybody want to guess one of their names? Any women in the Old Testament found at a well? Okay, yep. Moses' wife, yep, yep. Rachel and Rebecca. So what's interesting is that these were three women, three brides that were found at a well. We know that Christ is coming for the church, that Christ is bringing all nations, all backgrounds into a relationship with him for all those that put their faith in Christ. And we see this woman that we're gonna run into is um, 
is struggling, right? She's got some issues. There's three strikes against her, right? She is a woman. Now guys, it's okay. Remember in those times, being a woman, that's strike one. Number two, she is a Samaritan. And strike number three, Christ knows of her sexual sin. But it's so awesome as you guys have done chapter three, if you look near the end of chapter three, you see this bridegroom language, but we see that Christ is coming representing, look, to the least of these, I come to bring my church as one. So what do we know about Samaritans? Somebody tell me, Samaritans are what? What do we know about them? I'm gonna do like I do in middle schools. We're gonna have a little conversation here. What's one thing we know about Samaritans? Jews hated them, right? They saw them as half-breeds. They intermarried. And so they took on some beliefs of the Jews. They actually, what they did is they only kept the first five books of the Bible. So they believed in the law. They believed in the law of Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that was truth and that's it. They didn't take the prophets, they threw them out. So Moses was their only prophet. So we're gonna see a conversation happen here, but these people were ones that Jews did not wanna associate with. But Jesus is breaking some ground here. So this we're gonna pick up in John chapter seven, or chapter four, verses seven through nine. If you guys have your Bibles, this will be on the screen here as well. It says this, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me, or said to him, yeah, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples have gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? A drink for me, a woman from Samaria. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's like, come on, man. First off, I'm a woman and you're talking to me in public. This is like reserved only for married couples. Number two, I am a Samaritan. You are clearly a Jew and you're asking me for water. Jesus answered her verses 10 through 11. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where will you get this living water? So we see this woman thinking on physical terms. Come on, you have no water. The well is a hundred feet deep. Where will you get this living water? But we know Jesus is talking about the living water. We know Jesus is talking about the gift of God, receiving eternal life, receiving the Holy Spirit, having your sins forgiven, being, becoming a child of God, as it was read earlier in John 7, 38 through 39. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is said about the spirit whom have believed in him to, who were to receive but yet the spirit has not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus opens this door to spiritual conversation, but she is not getting it. Has ever happened to anybody before? You try to throw out there asking questions about their faith and you know, hey, things are falling apart right now, but you know, there's, there's a purpose for that. And maybe you start talking about things of God and they're looking at the physical. So Jesus does what he does and he drops a hammer on her. Let's talk about some serious issues right here, lady. He gets onto it, right? Jesus said to her, verse 16, go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying you have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one now that you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, if a stranger came up to you and said, hey, just by the way, I kind of know some of your deepest, darkest secrets. 
you would probably say, stalker, like, how are you following me? You got cameras, what's going on here? But this woman, instead of denying it, instead of getting in an argument, instead of turning and running away, continues the conversation. She acknowledges that he is a prophet. And she asks the questions, hey, you're a Jew, you're a prophet, you know a lot about me, kind of crazy, kind of creepy probably. We, we Samaritans worship here on this mountain. You Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. What's right? Where's the right place to worship? Jesus goes on, continues and says, look, a time is coming where it's no longer about worshiping Jesus in a location. It's not about this mountain. And even for a Jew to say, it's not even about Jerusalem. It's not even about the temple because true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, what did Jesus do in the temples? In the temple, when he was there and they saw the money changers flip the tables. I mean, because he was on fire for God. He said, look, zeal for my house. I'm gonna flip tables over because the worship of God is the utmost importance. And what you were doing is you were making God's place of worship a den of robbers. And so he was serious about this place, but he's saying, look, if you are looking at a location and you are missing the person that you are called to worship, you are missing it all. If you do not worship Christ, you cannot worship the Father. And so it is not about a location, but it's a who and how you're supposed to worship. So at this point, the woman says, okay, this is, this is pretty crazy right here. It says this, the woman in verse uh, 25 picks up, 25 to 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I took a couple Greek classes and I haven't messed with them for about a year and I've forgotten pretty much everything, but you can easily look this up in Greek and it's very clear to say, ego amin, meaning Jesus doesn't just say, I am he, as probably your translation says, but he says, I what? Am, I am. Even the Samaritans would know, hey, Moses was there at the burning bush. Who should we say sent you? God said what? I am. So Jesus is not only saying, I am the Messiah that you're waiting for. He is saying, I am God. Now he drops this amazing truth to this woman. And it so happens that the disciples come back. So we don't have this dialogue. We don't have a conversation that happens after that. I think it's kind of funny that the, it took all the disciples to go get food for them. I mean, like how much food are they bringing back that they couldn't just send a few? But once again, I think God is in control and who knows if the disciples were there hanging out. They might've been a little bit hard-headed and maybe said something during this conversation, but God sent them out, Christ sent them out. They return right at this moment. And as they come back, they knew that he was talking to this woman but they didn't ask him any questions. And she took off without the pot to draw the water and went and talked to the people in the city. She came, verse 29, come see the men, the man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So we see what's happening here. The disciples bring Jesus some food and they're like, hey, Jesus, it's time to eat. I know you're hungry, come and grab some food. Jesus goes to tell them, hey, I have food that you guys don't know about. And I'm thinking, 
Is he talking about like he's got his cloak on, he's got him lined, like you do when you go to buffets, right? You guys don't do that, I hope not. I really don't steal at buffets, but he doesn't have food that they're not talking about. And they're wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Yes, did Jesus need physical food to live? Yes, he is 100% God, 100% man. But what is he saying? He is saying, guys, right now, my physical hunger can wait. This lady is dead in her sins and she needs a savior. What is happening between me and this lady right now is more important than physical food. Jesus even said in verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. While you guys are focused on the food, look up, look at the field, look at the harvest. Look up, I tell you, lift your eyes and see the fields are right or white with harvest. The people are coming to them. They are so focused on the physical that they are missing what Jesus is doing with this woman and this encouragement to her. Jesus's mission is to do the will of the father. And God's will should be more important than anything else we do. But you know what we do? And I'm the first one to admit this is we look at our own needs. We look at the physical needs. And we say, you know what? What I'm going through right now in my own agenda, in my own life is more important than the eternal destiny of our friends, our neighbors, our friends, and our family. And we put their relationship with Christ to the back burner. And my question to you guys, as well as to me, because um, I wanna be held just as accountable, is how many women at the well did you miss this week? When you're at your job, when we're having those conversations and joking around, how many needy people that are dead in their sins did we just walk right past? Or some of us willingly kind of steered away, just like many Jews would just steer away from Samaria to stay away from the least of these. How many of the women at the well have we passed up this week, this month, this year? Have we ever gone through our list of friends? Now, some of you guys have some long Instagrams and some Facebook friends. And if you went through them, have you ever sat down and asked that question? If they were to die without Christ today, do I know where they'd spend eternity? Do we have the same love that Christ had for the lost and has for the lost? Well, we see as a result, what happens because of this woman, you guys are familiar with the story, but I wanna encourage you guys with this. We see in John 4, 39, many Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. For he has told me all that I've ever did. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his words. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but for we have heard for ourselves that we know that indeed he is the savior of the world. And so I wanna encourage you guys as just much as I'm challenging myself and I'm having my middle school students hold me accountable as we build those relationships. And many of you maybe are intentional, but how are you doing with bringing the gospel and the truth into their lives? I have this um, funny opportunity. So um, I moved into this new neighborhood and meeting tons of people and I'm, I'm out there golfing with this guy. And um, he's a manager at a restaurant. He talks about how he gets to counsel and, um, 
deal with the workers that are in under him. So he's like 30 something. He's working with these 21 year old people. And he talks about counseling these kids. And, and he's like, man, I, I know that you're kind of all into God thing. I, that's not for me. Uh, but he talks about how he counsels them and, and just asking me questions about church and stuff like that. But he's like, that's not really for me. And then he invites me to his kid's diaper party, right? And so um, if you guys don't know me, um, does that sound like something that would be really exciting, guys? Like, hey, let's go hang out and bring diapers to a kid that needs diapers. Like, to me, that's not, not super fun. Um, I mean, if they have free food, I would go there. But that's something... <laughs> In my selfish flesh, I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound like it's very fun, but it is so clear as I'm studying this passage and I'm asking myself, okay, God, this guy loves his children and he is talking about his kids all the time. He's so excited about them growing up and he's so excited about his kid that he wants to invite another guy to a diaper party. And me and my selfish nature, I'm like, I don't wanna go, but I'm like, look, this is what we're talking about is, are we looking for opportunities to say, I'm willing to associate with somebody that is not a believer. I'm willing to associate with somebody that is just straight rejecting God or the least of these or the prostitute. Am I willing to associate with someone because I love Christ so much? I'm willing to push aside my own agenda and find out where they are with Christ. And so I sent him the message the next day and like, yeah, I'd love to go to your diaper party. And maybe this is a great opportunity to show, you know what? I'm gonna care for him. I'm gonna love his family. And who knows what doors God is gonna open. So I just wanna encourage you guys. Most of you know this passages. Most of you um, could probably come up here and teach what I taught, but let's be real. Are we looking for opportunities? Are we willing to go to the least of these John Piper said this about the passage and I'm gonna go ahead and pray after this. He says this, Jesus is pursuing an unacceptable relationship. God is pursuing this woman. He means to have her in heaven. He is graciously relational. Everything is intentional. This is not just happening, it is designed. God has not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him in John 3, 17. He broke centuries old uh, taboos. He, He sought to be alone with the Samaritan. He sat on a well. He spoke and did not remain silent. He spoke to a Samaritan. He spoke to a woman. He spoke to an adulteress. He asked for a drink and the only vessel available was hers. You guys see what Christ did? He had compassion on the least of these. He was breaking down barriers so the gospel could be preached to all the world. We too are called to be imitators of Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this night. And God, I pray, Lord, that you take us back to when we first came to know you, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God, that we were enemies of you. But God, you opened our hearts to understand the truth of your word, that you brought us out of our sin, that you put our sin upon your shoulders for everyone who puts their faith in you. And God, we thank you that you're willing to reach out to lost sinners like us. And God, as we look at Nicodemus in chapter three, the most righteous type of people, the Pharisees, God, the seemingly ones that didn't need your love, God, you willingly died for them. And then you went to the least of these in the Jewish eyes, God, the the half-breeds, those that were only good in their opinion for fueling the fires of hell. God, you willingly lay down their lives for them as well. And so God, who are we to withhold the truth of your gospel to our friends, 
our neighbors and our families. So God, inspire us, encourage us to look for opportunities to talk about the things of you in our own lives and let us model and imitate your son, Christ. God, we thank you for these, um, these young adults in this room. And God, I pray, Lord, that you spoke to their hearts clearly, that you will excite them and, and that you'll put faces and names to this sermon, God, of people that they're called to go and reach. Help us reach the lost, God. Help us pray for our friends and families and let us not be self-absorbed and we miss the opportunities that we have. Let us find those that need you, Lord. God, we love you. And we ask all this in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.